Hello and welcome to Poppycock Podcast with your host, Victor Pacheco, stand-up comedian, substitute teacher, and your boy. What's up with it? We're just chilling here at the studio apartment here in downtown Oakland by Lake Merritt. So you know I got rent control, otherwise I want to be able to afford to live out here. I'm really happy to be back with another Poppycock Podcast. I'm happy for the iTunes people that got on there and rated this podcast and gave it a five-star rating, all five of you. I legitimately appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. And my heart has extra weight because of all the plaque and clogged up arteries that I got. So please accept my humble thank you because I really do appreciate it. So at any rate, um, we've had a crazy week here. Uh, by we, I mean me. I don't know why when I talk about my, I think I've been saying we instead of me so I can like not appear to be more selfish, but it's like hard to not be selfish during this like crazy time of COVID because everyone's at home, right? And everybody needs to pull together like a community and like everybody needs to like offer the resources that they got and help everybody out. But I'm just going to go out and say it. I don't appreciate my friends on Facebook who are parents who hit me up to help out their kids with their homework. It's like, dude, I didn't make your kid. I didn't force you to like think about like having an abortion. And sh- Okay, that's fucked up. Listen, I think your kids are great. I think that um, they have a bright future, and I think that if I can help them, I will. And you know what? I talk a lot of shit. I did help out. All, everybody who's hit me up on Facebook to help out, I have helped them and given them the correct answers, mostly for math, mostly for fractions, and you know what? It's hard work, but guess what? I'm doing it for fucking free, okay? And I have the right to complain about working for free. So parents, if you really have a problem with me complaining about not getting compensated for my time and my talents, you're entitled and you're an asshole and you should really think about the needs of other people, especially myself, because I go through a lot of shit and I need that money, okay? Like right now for teaching, it's all from home. So if you ain't got a teaching credential, which I don't, you're fucked. You're assed out. You can't teach no kids in America. You can't online. But right now, like... (laughs) It's crazy, though. Parents have been hitting me up. I have helped. I've given the correct answers. You know, it's like, fuck. Like if if a clothing store donates $3 for every $120 worth of merchandise that they sell, how much merchandise do they have to sell in order to donate $1,000? The correct answer is $40,000, okay? Because $120... Divided by, okay, never mind. Who gives a shit? It's 40, all right? It's 40. At any rate, so there's a bunch of ways to figure that out. That's more of like a pre-algebra, algebra one question. That's like a seventh grader type of question. But I was asked by my 10-year-old niece how to do that equation, and she's in fourth grade. She's a fourth grader. Like, like, dude, I think they just put that into the homework to see which parents are helping out and which parents actually just can't come up with an answer. So they need the teacher. I guess that's why, like, people hit me up. And I didn't just give the right answer. I showed the work. 
I, you know, I cross multiplied and divide to solve for X. And I'm not trying to sound smart. I'm trying to just, you know, do basic algebra. And people are like, oh, I don't use that in my regular life. But, you know, I buy drugs. So I use algebra in my regular life all the fucking time. Like, if this asshole's trying to sell me a hit of acid for $10, and eh, how much money can I save if I buy 100 hits of acid? All right. So 100 hits of acid, that might be like, Four hundred, five hundred dollars. Okay, so that's four dollars or five dollars a hit versus seven dollars. So, but what happens if I buy two hundred hits of acid, and I get it for three dollars and fifty cents per hit? What are the savings there? You know what I'm saying? Like that's great. That's how you use math in your daily life to help you succeed in the avenue that you're going towards. And in my case, it's to get the most bang for my buck. I really want to have the most that I can get out of my money and, you know, call it what you want it, but I call it being smart with my money because I ain't always got money. And so I, I need to do what I can best with it. Okay. So I don't have any right now. Uh, my unemployment benefits were cut significantly. Yeah, I know there's some people laughing out there like, get a job, you fat fuck. Yeah, well, I'm looking right now, but I, I, I cannot work in person. So I'm not going to work in person right now because I'm not jeopardizing my health for some bratty little kids and their rich-ass parents that only want to pay $20 per kid per hour. And they only have two, and they only want me to show up like four times a week. And they're not going to compensate my travel. And it's just like, I'm not going to do it. And that's that's a good one. That, that what I just described, that's a good learning situation. And I don't want to do it. I'm not going to risk my health. And then, God forbid, your kids get sick, and then you want to blame it on me? Like, fuck that shit. Like, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'm fit to go into somebody's house and, like, teach their kids and, like, because, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I've gone to Santa Monica. I've gone to Washington. I've gone to L.A. Where the hell else have I gone? I've gone to Sacramento. I've gone to all these places I just mentioned. I've gone to sit-down restaurants where you sit down and you eat inside of a restaurant. Yeah, I've done that, okay? Even, like, three months ago, I lost my taste of smell and I lost my 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 sense of taste. Oh wait, I said that wrong. I lost my sense of taste and I lost my sense of smell. And I was really worried. Not that I had COVID and I was gonna die, but I was really worried that I was never gonna eat pussy again. Like like if I could never taste the puss again. Now that's not good. Anyway, that was a little vulgar. I don't give a fuck. Shit happens, you know. We go on tangents here at Palpycock Podcast. That's what we do. But at any rate, um <laughs> yeah, man, it's pretty crazy what's going on these days with uh, what's being offered, with what's not being offered, with who's holding back on the resources and shit, and the haves, haves, the haves, nots, do not. But, you know, let's talk about some good shit that's going on in my life right now. Let me announce. Uh, we had a really good show last night at Best of SF, stand-up comedy, Zoom edition. Uh, that's every Saturday, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm the house MC. I host those. Um, I do new jokes. I don't want to say every week, but this week I did all new jokes. It was just a story from last episode of Poppycock Podcast um, where I talked about, you know, getting pulled over by the TSA or backroomed by the TSA or harassed by the TSA, however you want to put it. But I turned that into a six-minute story, so that was pretty cool. They were, like, on board with it, and it was at the very beginning of the show, so that was pretty cool. So, um that was an awesome show. We had some dope comics. It was great. Um, we got a show every week on Saturday, 8 p.m. 
the show just made the chronicles, so this show officially has more credits than me. So that's awesome. Be, t- be sure to tune in. Uh, another cool thing that's really super awesome is that coming this Friday, August 28th, we are back, me and Paco the Parrot, for our psychedelic puppet show. All right? It's going to be this Friday at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is not a Zoom show. This is exclusively on Instagram Live. That's going to be super dope. We've postponed it. We were on a hiatus because we ran out of pure liquid imagination, which we need as motivation for the show. That's the whole premise of the show. How the fuck you can do a psychedelic puppet show without any fucking psychedelics? That's what makes it fucking great. That's what makes it fucking fresh. That's what's awesome. That's what makes it unique. But, you know, we're back. And that makes me happy. That's really fucking cool. That's like so cool that something as simple as a puppet show could bring so much happiness to people. And I'm not joking, okay? It's not like I have a fucking like major following for my puppet show. But I've had at least 12 people ask me, hey, dude, what happened with your puppet show? Are you bringing your puppet show back? And I'm like, oh, wow, that's funny. You did watch my puppet show. That's pretty sick. People did watch my puppet show, okay? Uh, either because it was funny or I made an asshole out of myself, which is funny. But, dude, it's a puppet show on psychedelics. That is hilarious. Who does that? Who advertises that? Who puts credits on the bottom of their flyer? Who makes flyers for a psychedelic puppet show? Me, Victor Pacheco, a bored ass, out of work, uh, coronavirus driven quarantine comedian. Okay. I substitute teach. I can't substitute teach a virtual classroom. I guess you can, I guess I've, I used to get offers, not anymore, uh, where they just need an adult to supervise the zoom study hall from nine 30 AM until 11 30 AM. And I'm like, wait a minute. So what, what am I doing in these zoom rooms as the adult? Am I, like, making sure these kids are doing their work? Like, how the fuck am I going to tell them to do their work if they're at their house? Like, hey, you need to do your work. And then, like, you know, what's a kid going to be like? Fuck you, you fat nigga. Which I've had students tell me in the past, all right? I've had students tell me that a bunch of times. Like, okay, mostly in East Oakland and also in Richmond. But I get around in the East Bay, okay? I don't discriminate, all right? I go to all black schools. I go to all Mexican schools. And sometimes when I'd be killing it in these schools... Like, and I felt, like, really, really fucking, like, on a roll. And these kids thought I was the funniest person they've ever seen in their lives. I tell these kids, you know what, guys? I just want to thank you guys for letting me be comfortable enough to be myself. And you guys make me feel really safe because there's no white kids in here that are going to shoot up my class. And everyone would start laughing. That shit would be fucking hilarious. And you know what? I only did that when I thought it was appropriate. And obviously no schools have ever gotten any complaints about me. No school districts have ever gotten complaints about me. And no staffing agencies have gotten complaints about me with the black and brown students, all right? It's always the white kids. It's always the white kids. It's always the white kids, okay? And I don't want to make this about race because Poppycock Podcast here, we're equal opportunity employer, all right? So we don't want to come out and say that white people are the devil, but let me just take this back a little bit more. All right, listen. I got really triggered this week, this weekend, all right? I went to go to my mom's because my mom said that she was, like, having this pain in her foot, and that really bothered me, so I went to go drop off these, like, weed-infused, rub-on, type of healing medicine that you put on to where it hurts and so you know that's that's tough you know like I, I can't even see my mom 
because she's scared I'm going to give her the coronavirus. And it's just sad because I haven't seen her since March. And it's almost the end of August right now. And I haven't seen her, you know. I went to go drop off this stuff. And then when I went back to the car, uh, I noticed that there is this white woman who just walked around the block with no fucking mask on. And I was on the phone with my mom and my window was down and I noticed that woman and I said to the to my mom on the phone, Jesus Christ, this fucking white bitch doesn't even have her fucking mask. Can you believe this fucking white bitch doesn't have her fucking mask on? And she looked. But, but dude, this is this is the problem, right? I wouldn't call her a bitch. You know, I'm, I call dudes bitches. So don't think that's like sexist in any way. I mean this personally. This woman's a fucking bitch because... Not just because of the mask thing, okay? And where my parents live, there's a hundred dollars first first fine that you get for not wearing a mask where they live in San Mateo County. So I'm not calling her a bitch just because she's not wearing a mask. I'm calling her a bitch because of my history with this woman. This woman is my parents' next door neighbor, all right? They've been living there for approximately maybe twelve years. Okay? They've been living there. They've been renting there for 12 years, uh, the house next to my parents. And I'm not fucking shaming nobody because I don't own a goddamn thing. My parents do. I don't. But this lady, ever since they gave birth to her son, has been a complete fucking dick. All right. Her attitudes change. She became a bitter person. And she then sucked the life out of her husband, who used to be my friend, who used to give me weed because he was a cool neighbor. But then when she came into the mix and they had a kid, he fucking changed, all right? And not, okay, and he's not, and she's not a bitch for changing my friend or me losing a friend because I've had a bunch of women come into the lives of my friends and then negatively affect my relationship with my friend because they're like, hey, you can't hang out with that guy no more. That guy's really crude. He's rude. He's over the top. Fuck that guy. You can't hang out with him. So I'm not calling her a bitch for that. I'm calling this woman a bitch because when my bird rascal died and I had my, cockatiels are supposed to live for like 12, 12 years. 14 years max this little bird lived for 21 years all right he lived for 21 years and he died so he i had him as a kid when i was in third grade and then he died when i was like uh, 30 or maybe 28 like so like it was like a really okay you know what if it was yeah so it was like 29 then if you do the math so this bird died and when i when i had this bird there's a lot of cats that try to fucking eat this bird so I hated fucking cats. I was like, these fucking cats are trying to eat my birds. Fuck this fucking cats. Fuck these pieces of shit. You know, I hate cats. But when Rascal died and I buried him in the front yard, there was this fat orange cat that would come up to the come up by Rascal's grave. He'd be like, I don't know if he smelled him or I don't know what was going on, but he never tried to dig up Rascal. He never tried to dig him up and eat him. He never tried to do and desecrate his grave. So this fat orange cat was a fucking brawler. He would he would fuck up other cats that would like, you know, mess with his territory. Like I'm just assuming it's a dude. But I never knew. I don't know. I don't I know the gender of the cat, but I used to call the cat Orange Kush. Orange Kush was was a fat orange cat. Uh, he was like a tabby. He was fucking beautiful. And I would pet him, and that cat would not let anybody pet them. But, like, you know, I, I'd smoke a little weed and be brave and pet that cat. And so this cat mysteriously left the neighborhood, and we found out that she had that cat 
put into a shelter and euthanized because it was coming between her and her family. I don't know if the cat attacked the kid. I don't know if the cat attacked the baby that they had. If that happened, that sucks. But it shouldn't have been euthanized. That was a fucking sick-ass cat. But at any rate, I think it's fucked up that yesterday I went out of my way to go deliver this medicine to my mom. And I couldn't even see her because she's 15 feet away wearing a mask. Scared that I'm going to give her the Rona. I'm wearing a mask too because I'm scared that I might give her the Rona. 15 feet away. And then when I go back to my car and I look out the window, I see my neighbor... The bitch who killed my cat, the bitch who stole my friend, the bitch who's not wearing a mask. Yeah. I saw her face when I couldn't see my beloved mom's face. And that sucks. That made me feel like really terrible. Like, what did I do to warrant this? Where I can't see my mom's face, but I can see this lady's face. Who's being, and I'm sorry. If anybody thinks I'm being misogynistic, I'm not. I don't refer to women as bitches because I don't think... Women are bitches. I think anyone has the capability of being a bitch. And the fact that I have to explain myself about what I just said is to try to not get canceled is bullshit because I shouldn't even have to fucking have to explain myself because I'm not misogynistic, all right? I love women. I recently read a meme recently that says, uh, yeah, those women you don't want to fuck, that's how you treat women. And I'm like, great. You know what? That's actually really fucking surprisingly correct. I, I do... That how, how I respect women is how the women I don't want to fuck. And quite frankly, I'm at the point in my life where I know all women don't want to have sex with me. So I don't want to have sex with any of them. So I treat them all the same. And I don't give a fuck what they look like. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't. Uh, unless sometimes they, like, really are, like, really thick as fuck. Then I will totally care. I will totally look. And, like, I don't mean to. And I'm not, like, trying to, like, objectify anybody or make them feel uncomfortable. But Jesus Christ, though, like. I sometimes like where was I? I was in a not Ventura. No, I wasn't in Ventura at all. Santa Monica. I was in Santa Monica, and dude, there was these big chicks that were wearing. And I'm talking about recently during the Rona, uh, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. There was this like really like plus size female, and she was wearing like the skimpiest outfit I've ever seen. And I'm like, oh. My God, you are so hot and courageous that you would wear that out. And I understand it's super hot outside and, you know, women should be allowed to wear whatever they wear. But also, though, too, you got to understand that guys are dogs and we're going to look no matter what. So I think it's fucking crazy that because I don't have the confidence to wear certain things and shit. I don't have the confidence to go out and take off my shirt at the pool unless I'm on acid. If I'm on acid. I'll fucking take off my shirt and show my tits. I don't care if I'm on acid. If I'm on acid, I'll go into a pool without my shirt, and that's that's that. You know, people, oh, I got to get drunk to do that? No, nah, I'm not going to take off my shirt. Is I've taken off my shirt when I was sober, like trying to go to the beach, and I just scarred a bunch of kids. They just look at him like, Daddy, why does that guy have tits? And I'm like, fuck you, kid. I got a beard, too. Like, fuck you, all right? This is America. You're going to see a bunch of dudes with beards and tits, all right? You're going to see some ladies with beards and tits, too. So just get fucking used to it, okay? Get used to it because this is America. This is what we have here. This is inclusion. This is equality. This is where we accept everybody. So, well, actually, not me, though. <laughs> Talking about my neighbor not wearing her mask, stealing my friend, killing my cat. Didn't like that at all. But, you know, what you're going to do? Um, something in the news recently really bothered me. Um, they recently, 
and by they I mean the Oakland Police Department, recently raided Oakland's only mushroom church. All right. It's called the Zydor Church of Entheogenic Plants. Whatever that means. You know, this is the only psychedelic church that was in existence here. It's hella funny, though, because the the head of the church looks like a Catholic bishop in, like, these, like, gnarly threads with, like, mushrooms and all this gnarly stuff. So the Oakland Police Department raided them, and they found $200,000 in cash, cannabis, and several strains of psilocybin mushrooms, which is psychedelic mushrooms. No arrest. Okay, let's go through the step-by-step, guys. $200,000, okay? Listen, you want to know why they had so much money there? They had. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons, all right? Let's go through it. The reason why the Church of Mushrooms had $200,000 when they got raided was because, first of all, they charge a shit ton for mushrooms now that they're legal, okay? Like, back in the day, you could get mushrooms for an eighth for $20, no questions asked. And if you bought an ounce, you could get an ounce for like $100, save 60 bucks. Because there's eight eighths in an ounce, all right? So the more you buy, the cheaper it is. That's fucking how shit usually works. That's how the economy usually works. But, you know, it's not for mushrooms. Because mushrooms now, on the street, they're charging $40 an eighth. That is criminal. And I heard at other places, they're charging $60, $80, and $100 for eighths. So that's for recreational use. I can't even imagine what it's like for religious pursuit of happiness because I've seen some of these ayahuasca places charging $500 for some fucking white bro in a ponytail to come up to you and give you some shit that they stole from Mexicans in the desert. So I don't understand why people have to pay so much fucking money to fucking get the medicine that they need. So that first of all, that's why that $200,000. Second reason why the Church of Mushrooms had $200,000 at the time of the arrest was because they didn't have to pay off any fucking lawsuits for fucking raping underage kids at their church like other churches, okay? Like, that's what happened. I think they got raided because they weren't fucking molesting any kids, all right? Because if they were molesting fucking kids, they wouldn't have got fucking raided, all right? There's a bunch of fucking churches everywhere that don't get raided even after have the fucking sexual abuse scandal. Is that what the church of fucking mushrooms is missing, everybody? I don't think so. I don't advocate that shit. I don't think that should happen. But let's just let's just call it what it is, dude. The mushroom church was a church of healing. It was a church of love. It was a church of hope. And now it's not there anymore because people got greedy or people don't like the sense of an individual who isn't part of a major corporation, who isn't part of the 1% running these type of businesses, okay? Like, we need, like, a Bayer Pharmaceutical in there running the psilocybin psychedelic mushroom operations, all right? We don't need some fucking dude mocking organized religion to do it. And I think that's what the problem is because capitalism has perversed every single aspect of life as we know it like seriously like corporate nestle and coca-cola bought up a shit ton of water so they could repackage it and sell it and they're just selling their fucking label it's just tap water it's worse than tap water because they put all this other shit into the water to electrolyte you which is bullshit it's like they just add a bunch of salt to make you thirstier so you'll drink more of their water. It's a fucking scam. 
All right, and a fat fuck like me could, could notice a scam like that. You ever taste water and it tastes salty? Why is this water salty? I just bought it. All right, this water should not be salty. This water, it's like you go on a road trip from the Bay Area to LA, and you stop at the Red Vine, uh, the, the 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 Red Vine, the Grapevine to buy Red Vines. You stop at the Grapevine to get some water because you're dehydrated, and you buy a big old one liter bottle of water and you slam it in one drink and then you're like super thirsty like 20 20 minutes later because you all that all that salt that's in that water that you just bought made you even more dehydrated than you were prior to drinking that water so it's crazy the way that these corporations come through and try to perverse a product all right so they're they're gonna do that with the mushrooms for sure for sure but, you know, what are you going to do about it? So that kind of bothered me, this whole Church of Mushrooms, this whole shutting them down. There was like, why are you shutting them down? I don't know. I think the thing that I'm most pissed off about is that I never got a chance to catch a service of the Church of Mushrooms. And I didn't get to participate in their religious beliefs because, you know what? I'm open-minded, all right? I'm not denouncing God. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying... If I got the opportunity to go to the Church of Mushrooms, which I didn't even know existed until I read this article this week, if I had the chance to go to that, I would definitely go to that. Why wouldn't I go to that? That'd be so awesome. Going to the Church of Mushrooms with this white guy dressed up like a fucking bishop in the Catholic Church? That was so funny. <laughs> but at any rate, yeah. Um, and sad news. Well, I don't know. I don't know if... Sometimes you remember certain things and it makes you sad, but then you remember certain details about what's making you sad and then you start laughing because, oh, yeah, I did have some good times. Um, Facebook memories is like this huge blithe in my life that reminds me of really shitty things that have happened on this day in the past on Facebook that I've posted or been tagged in or, you know, things of that nature. And so I recently got a Facebook memory or on this day. Um, where my former high school coach, he passed away on this date. And I was like, fuck, that was hella sad. Because I was on prescription pain medicine when he died as an adult. Like, I just suffered a car accident. Um, and I was, like, really fucked up. Like, I was on a bunch of pain meds. And I still went to his funeral. Like, I could barely walk. And I still went to his funeral. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to fucking die. So... It was crazy. It was super sad. There was like professional athletes there. There was like a lot of there was famous people there because Coach Parks, the man who passed away, who I was reminded of, was a really great, awesome coach. He was a coach at Melo Atherton High School in Melo Atherton, California. He pretty much stopped the race riots that were happening there when they integrated the schools in the '60s. Like he has a huge history there. And then in addition to that, I mean that like that's what like. That's legendary right there. Integrating a school as a black man, like fucking A. Like that's how much respect Coach Parks got, even in the 60s. And like he really changed my perspective about a lot of things. And he really like, he really had a positive impact on my life because he's very inspirational, motivational. So he retired from Melo Atherton High School and then he started, he, he came out of retirement to start, he started coaching at Sequoia High School. He started coaching as 
the wrestling coach because they really badly needed a wrestling coach. And the thing was, Coach Parks was a very successful football and wrestling coach at Menlo Atherton High School. And also, he was the conditioning coach for the 49ers. So we knew a lot of famous people. And um, I was thinking about what made me... Okay, so this made me sad because I was thinking about the funeral. But then I, I started laughing my ass off because I remembered something fucking funny that happened with Coach Parks while I was there in person. So I graduated from high school in 2003. So that means that some shit that happened early on, like like when I was in elementary school, that was in the 90s. All right, when I was in middle school, that was in the 90s, all right? So, but in high school, that was the early 2000s, all right? What happens in the early 2000s, right? There's computers, people can look things up. It's the real world, you know? You can look it up in the World Wide Web. There's no secrets, you know? The only thing different between 2000, 2003, and now is that the how plentiful cell phones are now and how the access that people have to cameras now to record you and... To, to really just catch you in the act. So um, none of that shit was going on in 2002, 2003 when the story took place. So Coach Parks was a really motivational man. He really would push you physically. Like, he really helped me a lot. Like, he helped me lose weight. He helped me get better form. He helped me respect myself. He was a really great man. And one time he set it up to get – NFL 49ers all-star Super Bowl legend Ronnie Lott to come in and speak to the students. And, you know, prior to that, I'm not a 49er. I'm not even a football fan. I don't like football. I don't like what it stands for. And this is before all the kneeling shit, all right? I just don't like people getting all sweaty and touching each other. That's fucking gross. And then they're going to put it on TV. Then I got to watch it. Then I got to fucking know all their stats and all their names and where they come from and what college they went to and what the probability of them getting drafted and how much they're worth. It's like, I don't give a fuck. Fuck all them. You know, no, not all of them, but, you know, like just the whole concept of football. Um, but um, I didn't know who Ronnie Lott was. And Coach Park set it up for Ronnie Lott to come to our high school in Redwood City, Sequoia High School, to speak to the students. And Ronnie Lott was a dedicated football player because he like really like he dislocated his finger or something terrible happened to his finger. And like they're like, you can't play unless we amputate your finger. And he's like, well, you're going to have to amputate that finger because I'm going to play. And he played, and they won, and they won the Super Bowl. I think that was like a playoff game, or maybe it was the Super Bowl itself. I'm not sure. But he had his finger amputated. And so Coach Parks always talked about his dedication to his craft. you know. So that was really, wow, that's, that's amazing. And then he got Ronnie Lott to come in and speak to the students. That is some player shit right there, in my opinion, as an adult, what I'm saying now currently. I said player. Like, wow, that is like, like that's like, woo, you a player. You're a player. Anyway, thank God I didn't say that. because, Well, what happened was as soon as Ronnie Lott was done speaking, all the students got up because this was um, in the multipurpose room slash like where they played basketball auditorium it was the auditorium any rate they're at the auditorium and all the students are getting up out of their seats are getting out of the bleachers and uh one of them says yeah man ronnie lots of pimp and so coach parks just runs through a sea of students just like just pushing them out of the way and he gets up to the kid i'm talking about 2002 2003 coach parks goes up to this little kid he slaps him in the face 
And he said, don't you dare ever call a man a pimp. Disrespecting him. Oh, my God. Everybody was shocked and bewildered. And I was laughing my ass off because I could not believe how fucking hilarious this was. Coach Parks slapped a kid for disrespecting a man that he brought in to mentor the students, to speak to the students, to give the kids hope. He did so much. And then he felt like a student was defiling it by calling the speaker a pimp. That is incredible. That is wow. That is taken it to all another level because you know what? No matter who that was, if there was any type of educator or or co- coach who who slapped a student in the face because he slapped him right in the mouth, right in the like dude, it was crazy. And he wasn't fired. He was there the next year, the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that until he retired. Okay? But let me just bring something else up that I haven't talked about, though, that, that just came to mind right now. Coach Parks was already in his 70s when he came out of retirement. And not only, like, you know, at first it started off as he was going to be, like, the, the wrestling coach and the conditioning coach for the football team and the conditioning coach for the baseball team. And he's going to, like, help out with the athletes. That's like, okay, he's going to come out of retirement to help the athletes. But then when Sequoia High School started having him as the after-school study hall teacher – and the detention teacher, and the in-school in suspension teacher, and he's 70. And like I just mentioned in my story, he was rocking and rolling at 70. Like he was not some feeble old man. Like that man right now, if he was alive still, the 70-year-old Coach Parks could beat the fuck out of me right now. For sure, no questions asked. I'm not calling myself weak. I'm not saying I don't know how to fight. I'm just saying that that man is very was very intimidating. Even even as an old man, you can tell he's an old man, but you don't you don't fuck with a legend like that. You know, you don't. Like even if you had funk with him, which I never did. How could you have funk with somebody who loves you? Like, he loved all of his athletes. And I know I'm not athletic, but I, I was a wrestler. I did play football. I did suck incredibly at both of those things. And I only wrestled, like, four matches, four real matches. I only won once. Um, so I suck. I, I really suck at fucking sports. I've always have sucked at sports. But, you know, you joined football not because you want to be an athlete. You joined football because you want chicks to notice you, okay? That's why you fucking joined football, all right? Coach Parks would be very pissed if he knew I was saying this right now, disrespecting athletes all over the place because he took that serious. And, you know, I'm not joking about Coach Parks. I, I really just wanted to pay an homage to him in this podcast and let everybody know that the words of a coach or an educator or even just a a, a a positive thinking adult can really affect what kids are thinking. Like when you call a kid stupid, they're going to really think that they're stupid, especially if you're in a role of authority, even in their lives, especially in their lives. The things you say to a kid can really scar them for the rest of their lives. So you got to be careful what you tell these kids. You know, that's that's what I've learned. You got to empower these kids. You got to make them feel like they're important, make them feel like there's hope for the future. And also, like I mentioned last podcast, I really, I I cannot stress this enough. You got to make goals. You got to make goals. Even if your goal is to make goals, you got to make that goal. And that sounds so lazy. That's like the most procrastinating statement you can make. You know, I'm going to make a goal of making goals, like, because I don't make goals. Well, that sucks. You need to make goals. You need to make a plan. Just come through with something, you know, like I told myself, like, hey, I'm going to make, $2,000 substitute teaching this month. That doesn't mean that's how much I'm going to make for working 20 days. 
that that means that it depends because different schools pay differently. So if I make two thousand dollars, because I've made two thousand dollars in like two weeks at a good school, each week I get a thousand dollars. That's fucking sick. Two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars, and then I, I know somebody out there is like, "Oh my god, you get paid two hundred dollars a day!" I know some people out there, you fucking peasant, you're only getting paid two hundred dollars a day. And I know there's other professionals out there saying, "Hey, don't you ever discuss how much you're making, all right? That's not professional." But I got to discuss how much I'm making because it's important to me and important to anyone who cares about their future. Okay, you need to know if you're being exploited. You need to talk about your wages to other people that you trust to see what they're making, to see what their qualifications are, to see what their, um, I don't know, duties are, what 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 they're responsible for. Like, you know, are these people doing more than you? Is that why they're getting paid more than you? Or do they have a better education than you? Have they been at this company longer? Did they have a reason? Do are, are, how are they? You know, like you need to compare what you're going through with what other people are going through, so you can know if you are being exploited. And you don't want to be exploited. I don't. It feels terrible. It feels really bad when you find out that somebody's making more money than you for the same thing that you're doing. You know, like. For example, like sometimes there's budgets at different comedy shows. I'm not talking about me. Me personally, I pay every opener the same amount of money that I pay every opener. And I'll pay every headliner the same amount of money that I pay every headliner. Because especially if everybody's local, if everybody's local, everybody talks. So I'm not going to pay somebody $80 and then pay somebody $150 or $100 or, or, or $60 or $50. Because you know what? I'm very, very generous with the comedians that I book and that I pay, especially when I have something worked out with the venue that I'm at, that they're going to pay us X amount of money no matter what, or they're going to pay us a certain percentage of the drinks that are sold during the show, or they're going to pay us, you know, the door or percentage of the door, depending what you work out. You got to work out these deals with each venue with, with the, with either the manager or with the owner, somebody who can give you money from their overhead to pay for your comedy show, all right? And these people, when they want to help you, they will. They totally will. You know, you get a professional flyer done, you give it to them, and then they'll put it on their social media. And, and like, some of these bars have social medias with a presence of, like, 10,000 people, a local bar, because they like their microbrew or they like those uh, – they, they like the selection of Cabernets that they have or Sauvignons or I don't know. I don't know wine, but – I know that a lot of people will pay money to, I don't know. I've met a lot of, I've gotten lucky. I've met a lot of bar owners that have a fascination with stand-up comedy, and they personally love stand-up, so they want stand-up in their venue. Even though their venue isn't really that conducive for a comedy show, we'll still do them. We'll still pay comics, and then, you know, we'll, we'll do the best that we can. But, you know, when you're stand-up and you create your own space to grow, that's what you're doing. You're creating a space to grow, you know, and like that's what I learned early on. When you're not getting booked anywhere, you got to create your own spaces so you could create your own stage time. And because that, at the end of the day, you got to put in those hours. You got to really go out there. You got to get your feelings hurt and you got to really connect with audiences. Even when you get your feelings hurt, <laughs> that's when the growing begins. You got to grow. That's it. End of story, you know. And don't get me wrong, like, you know, a lot of really fucking traumatic shit has happened to me, like emotionally, physically, like spiritually, because of stand up. OK, like 
fucking crazy ass shit. Like, it's given me the will to live. It's made me suicidal. It's made me question who I am. And it's made me discover who I am. You see what I'm saying? That's so much of a fucking mind fuck comedy is. Comedy is such a fucking mind fuck that when pre-pandemic, okay? So I'm talking about even earlier this year. When you do a comedy show at a bar, I'm not talking about like at a comedy club or at uh, a theater or at a casino or whatever. Or, uh, dude, I think it's fucking crazy that this day and age when you're getting paid by a local producer, local promoter, local producer, local showrunner, any of these people that pay you the money, they, when they hand you the money that's balled up and they give it to you and they hand it to you like it's a drug deal, like they're shaking your hand and thanks for tonight. I think that's really disrespectful. And I'm guilty of doing that too because I don't have envelopes. You know what? I was thinking about I should just buy envelopes and just put the money in the envelope and just hand them envelopes. You know what? And you know, and I'm not going to lie to you. When, I, when this pandemic is over and I go back to producing shows and I pay comics, I'm going to buy those fucking envelopes because I think it's disrespectful that we got to ball up money and then hand it to the performer like they did something illegal for that money because they didn't. They worked really hard, you know? I've had fucking money handed to me like that. I've had wads of money handed to me like that that turned it out to not be wads of what I thought. One time I got a, what I thought was a wad of money. It was seven bucks, seven fucking dollars to travel from Oakland all the way to Redwood City for seven fucking dollars. But, you know, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to fucking write the producer and be like, hey, you produce a really shitty comedy show. And so I, you got no business running these shows if you can't talk to the owner or manager about setting you guys up with a certain amount of money so you can pay the comics. Because tipping out $7 is very disrespectful. Just pocket the money and say, hey, sorry, dude. We didn't make any money. My bad. I think it would have felt less disrespected if I got $0 over 7 because I've gotten $0 a bunch of fucking times. It's actually, you know, when I wash dishes, I think about, like, why am I washing dishes? Why am I not? Why, why am I? I don't know. It's like a humbling experience for me to wash dishes. All right. All Mexican jokes aside, like, washing dishes for me, I get to think about times that have not gotten really great. I have social anxiety, so I literally worry about things that happened years ago that I have no control over or how I responded or reacted or acted a certain way. And I'm like, oh, God, why the fuck would I do that? That was such a faux pas. But, you know, it, <laughs> you can't worry about those things. But I do. I worry about things that didn't happen. So, And then a lot of times, a lot of these memories come back to me when I'm doing mundane things like washing dishes. So I'm washing dishes. I'm in the kitchen. And I'm thinking about, Wow, I love comedy so much, man. I've really been through a lot. Wow, comedy's been so great. I've got the opportunities to work at major comedy clubs. I've got to work with some some of my heroes. I've gotten to work with some really fucking awesome people, national level, local level, regional, whatever, dude. I've got to meet a lot of great people. And I'm not going to name drop here and be like, oh, yeah, and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, 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 all right? Go to my website, HispanicTitanic.com, if you want to know all those names, seriously. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is I was thinking about how great comedy's been and how much work I put in, and how much comedy's actually really made me cry. And I was really thinking about, because I think everybody cries after a really horribly career-changing bombing. When you have one of those bombings where you're just like, should I quit comedy or should I kill myself? Those are the type of bombings I'm talking about. Should I even continue trying to be a comic? 
how could I consider myself a comic after a bombing like that? Like, these are, like, devastating bombs. And, you know, there's a lot of things that fucking happen. And so, I don't know. I was just really thinking about, with all the good that's happened, I was thinking about some of the bad shit that's happened. Like, I've cried. I've literally cried when I was out of town and I went to go do a fucking show. I was in San Diego, and I want to go do a show in Temecula, which is two hours northeast or north something in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. It's fucking desert. It's really fucked up. And so I did this show because the night before, the headliner really liked me. He's like, oh, yeah, come out to this show. I could get you a gig. And so when somebody said I could get, oh, no, he said I could get you some time. And so I didn't know that's the difference between getting a gig and getting some time at the time. This is 2017. And um, I drove two hours to get there. And there was traffic. So actually, I drove three hours to get there. I waited an hour for the comedy show to start. And then... Uh, the comedy show persisted for like an hour and a half. I did my thing. I did pretty good. Um, show ended, and then I started talking to the headliner that recommended me from the day before. He has some TV credits. He's a Latino comic. We're talking about, you know, comedy in general. We're talking about other Latino comics because that's what Latino comics do. And so, you know, I was just, you know, talking to this guy for hours and hours and hours. And the show ended like about like 10 and we were out there talking till like one o'clock in the morning because we're waiting for the producer of the show, producer slash host slash scam artist, to fucking come out and pay the headliner. At which time I thought he was gonna pay me. So this fucking greasy fuck in his truck comes out from the back parking like fucking a bat out of hell. The headliner throws himself in the middle of the street and starts waving his or sorry, in the middle of the parking lot, he starts waving his fucking arms, frantically like, hey, what the fuck? And then he fucking just breaks his fucking truck pulls over gets out of the fucking car and out of his truck and he's like hey what's up man what's up like all confrontational and drunk as a motherfucker fucking driving out of there like a bad idea. like why are you driving like that out of a bar so fucked up where you fucking produce a show anyway this frizzy haired cunt fucking tells the headliner of the show what's up what's up what's up and he's like hey bro Hey, you didn't pay me, man. You said you're gonna pay me at the end, and I'm still here waiting. And he's like, oh, oh, my bad, my bad. He pulls out a humongous wad of fucking money, pays the dude, and then fucking leaves. And I'm like, what about me, dude? What the, what the fuck? Wow, I just fucking spent three hours here after a show. And yes, I got to talk to some Latino comedians and shit that I thought was gonna pan out to something great. But guess what? That never panned out to shit, and I just wasted a bunch of fucking time to do 12 minutes for free. All right? 12 fucking minutes. I literally drove three hours, waited for the show to start for an hour, then 90 minutes for the show, then three hours after the show to get paid, and I didn't get fucking paid. I did all that for zero fucking dollars. And I literally cried in my wife's truck I was borrowing on the way back from this fucking zero paying stage time opportunity. And it was a good crowd and I connected well. And if I had merch, I would have sold merch because people loved me at that show. A Latino crowd, a Latino comic from the Bay Area, you know. They were fucking cool. But dude, I lost my shit on the way home because I was like, fuck, I really wasted all this time for zero fucking dollars. I made zero dollars. That's how I'm respected as a comedian. 
I'm not respected as a comedian because if I was, it would have paid me. But because they didn't see me as a fucking comedian, they didn't pay me, and I suck, and I'm fucking terrible, and I should quit comedy. Fuck quitting comedy. I should just kill myself because if this fucking frizzy-haired bastard isn't going to fucking pay me, how many other fucking people has he not paid for their fucking services? That's a fucking scam artist, bullshit promoter. I fucking hate motherfuckers like that. I really do. Like, you're going to exploit fucking talent that make you fucking... He had a shitty-ass hosting set, too. That's the fucking worst. When people fucking host their show that they're producing and they do a shitty-ass job, and then they have, they make the first comic fucking save the show. Like it's punishment for doing their show in the first place. But, you know, I think about all the things I've been through. Crying. Dude, because like there's other times I've cried. One time when I first started out... I got hella drunk at an open mic and some dude was heckling me and I called him a faggot and I didn't know you couldn't do that, especially in the Bay Area. So not only did um, I, dude, a couple people still have blocked me from that. That was in 2014, 2014. All right. And I'm being honest here. All right. I say a lot of words that you're not supposed to say, but you know, at least I have the decency to grow. And to learn from my mistakes and know that that was wrong. I should have called him that. And that insult to injury, uh, the only reason I called him that was just because I learned that he was a comedian. And a comedian was heckling me on an open mic. And um, I called him that. And I told him that that's not cool that he does that. Because, you know, you know what the fuck we do up here. Fuck you, dude. And then I called him that. And it turns out that that guy was, was actually, in fact, gay. He was a homosexual. And I called him the F word. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So... Uh, bunch of people blocked me that I'm still blocked to for, to this day and uh I got banned from that venue for a while and then I was unbanned when I started producing shows there and I started making the money so that's that's how it works with a lot of things when you start making people money they will be more tolerant of your bullshit and your shitty behavior when you make people money also, when you make people money, you're also making yourself money, and then you give yourself this elevated status that you're better than other people, so it turns you into this type of fucking egotistical animal that's hard to work with because you're so caught up in your own bullshit, you're so caught up with other people kissing your ass that you that's the norm. But at any rate, you know, I, I didn't mean for this to be such an angry podcast towards the end. I just wanted to air how I'm feeling and like what's going through and like some of these thoughts that I'm getting right now that I'm isolated and I'm away from the things that I love, like comedy and making new fans and hugging hugging people and shaking their hands and inviting them to shows and giving them flyers and giving them my business card and, you know, all that good stuff, you know. Because that would be the shit, dude. Like doing shows at the San Jose Improv, whether it's a weekend show or, or a weekday show, which is called a promoter show, like, you know, where an independent person comes into a comedy club and they, like, run the show. Like, I could run my show there. I did have a show there that I was producing, but unfortunately got canceled because of COVID, and it was going to be my first Spanish show ever that I'm producing and my second Spanish show that I'm performing on. So I really was looking forward to that because I needed to get more experience. I need to get video. I need to get clips. I need to just do what I can to, because also, though, too, like, I could do stand-up comedy in English. No problem. You know, like, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah. English, no problem. Spanish, 8, 10, 12 minutes max. And I was going to challenge myself at this show to do 15 minutes, but I never got the opportunity to do it because all, all the shows got canceled. But 
before all those shows got canceled, my last weekend there at the Improv, I was handing out flyers to my show on May on on May sixth for my Spanish comedy show, and people were gonna come and like you know I was like really looking for the like hey hablas español hablas español. Like after the show, and people are like, oh, you were so funny. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Come to my show. Come to my show. Bang on me, show. Like, dude, I was, I was really working it out. I spent my own money, and I spent my own time to get flyers printed. And I had my homie who was on the show make a flyer for the show. There was a lot of time and energy and capital that was, exp- that was used to make this show happen. It never happened. And I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not like mad at the comedy club that allowed us to do that. But here's the thing, though. Um, I'm mad at COVID happening because now people are going to be squeamish. People are going to be less likely to like want to interact with you or do anything with you. Like one of the things about stand up comedy that made comedy so special that I love so much about stand up was that I was able to after shows, after I did really good, which wasn't every single time, unfortunately, but every time I do really fucking good and I wait around for the show to end and I'd go shake hands and do like, and meet people or like, thanks for coming to the show or just stand there like a big lug, you know, depending on how desperate I felt that night for validation, I would just stand there. Like if I really killed it, I just have to stand there. I don't want to have to say shit. I'm like you were so funny. And I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. Do you have a website? Do you have your business card? We'd love to hire you for a fucking, and it's just like, that's how you get more gigs. You got to interact with the people after the show. You got to go up to them. You got to shake their hands and thank them. But now because of COVID, you're not going to be able to shake their hands no more because all that's over. All the shaking hands is over. People aren't going to want to do that. Not for a while, at least. And that's not good for making relations and communications with people that you want to have in your life to follow you, to be your fans. I'm not saying you have to shake everyone's hand. I mean, if you. Before he was doing arena acts, Fluffy, you know, Gabriel Iglesias, he was shaking everybody's hands. And he was making everybody that was opening for him shake hands, too. So I'm a firm believer in building your brand and being a professional and really standing your ground. So I think with what with everything that's going on right now, we have a bright future with comedy on Zoom, these virtual shows. Uh, Instagram Live for me this Friday, August 28th, 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm going to be on 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 Instagram Live doing my psychedelic puppet show with Paco the Parrot and Mr. Pacheco. Meet Jesus. That's the name of the show. And then this Saturday and every Saturday, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you can find me hosting Best of SF on Zoom. So be sure to look that up. There's a bunch of sponsor ads on Facebook, and you can also go to bestofsfstandup.com. You can register there, and it's absolutely free. You could do it. Tell your friends. Come through. Check out what shows I have coming up at hispanictitanic.com. And follow me on all social media at Puro Papi Pacheco, P-U-R-O-P-A-P-I-P-A-C-H-E-C-O. That almost sounded like a chant. Anyway, any rate, I hope I don't. <laughs> I hope I don't raise any spirits from the dead with that chant. You guys have been a great crowd. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a review if you can. If not, I'll see you next time. You guys have been absolutely wonderful. Have a good day. <laughs>